Healing can happen when people share their stories. Welcome to Trauma, Trial, and Transformation. Discover true stories from those who were called to sit in the witness chair. Experience their journey through the legal process and beyond. This podcast brings to light the trauma and stress caused by testifying under oath and offers resources by talking with witnesses, key litigators, and mental wellness professionals to assist with different approaches one can utilize to prepare to take the stand and how to heal after the encounter. And now, here's your host, Juliet Huck. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the launch of Trauma, Trial, and Transformation, a podcast that I think if you listen to the introduction, you hear the intent of wanting to bring to light mental health and wellness for people that have had to get to the witness stand. And I really am super, super grateful for my first guest today, long, long time friend. We go way back to high school days with many stories, many days, many weeks, many moments, many laughs. And I just, I want to want to thank you. It's uh, Pam Griffith, who's with me today. I really want to thank you, Pam, for just coming here today, being vulnerable, opening up with me, talking with me about some sensitive subject matter. And it just means a lot that you're supporting me to do this. So I, uh, I really am grateful. So everybody, Pam Griffiths. Hello. You know, it's interesting. You and I have so much in common, and I think we've known this most of our lives. Unfortunately, we have one thing in common that we have lost a sibling and actually a brother. Each of us have lost a brother. Mine when I was uh, eight years old in a hunting accident. And could you just take me back to November of 2014? Sure. Normally, I tell people to find it all online, but eight years later, it's almost eight years. Yeah, I was at a screening on Sunset for a new documentary for Producers Guild. And I got a call from my mother, which was unusual. It was 10 p.m. her time. And she said, something happened. Something happened to Al. And I thought, a car wreck, something. And just the next, I mean, from what I'm trying to remember what next, I said to my producing friend seated next to me, I said, I'm getting this call. I'm just going to leave. So I got on the road and I kept getting these calls and everyone it appears, but me and my mother and sister knew that something really horrible had happened because why are we not getting information? Why about what happened? The cops are saying they're going to go pick her up. Why, you know, all these whys coming up. And so all I knew something bad had happened and it wasn't until people were suggesting to get on a plane go down to Florida. I was expecting to find my brother in the hospital. And sure enough, yeah, he was in the hospital, but he had had passed. And I found that out before jumping in the car and heading to the airport to LAX. Passed, I usually say murdered. He was murdered, cold blood, sitting out front of a TJ Maxx on Del Prado Boulevard in Cape Coral, Florida. It was uh, almost a Friday. It was... I think a week before Black Friday, he was getting ready to close the store. He was the manager of the TJ Maxx and he was just having a quick break when someone came up and killed him. And so when, when that event happened, you know, the, the definition of trauma is a disconnect of self. Hmm. 
Did you feel like you had that disconnect immediately? Did you feel like you had that disconnect? Did you have that disconnect of yourself just going into some other place? First of all, the feeling is you're, you're confused. You just don't know what's going on. But as soon as you get the news, it's like a complete breakdown, physical, emotional, spirit. Just like, I just know that I fell on the ground and a neighbor came out from where I lived. And the three of us were just hugging Karen, this neighbor. You know, they were hugging me because I, I guess I screamed when my sister delivered the news. It's telling me he didn't make it. It is out of body. And then it's facing still. I had to fly to Florida. There's no such thing as a nonstop direct. So I don't remember if I wore sunglasses, what I I don't remember, but it was a long flight. And then, of course, the cops pick you up at the airport at whatever time in the morning, question you there. What did you know? What don't you know? And then I get to my mother's house and it is a blur. I think what's next following year, almost a blur, year's worth of blur. Because I still ask questions like, was I hiding in the garage for a full year? <laughs> was I working out of the garage for a full year? You know, almost. Sure. Did I pay mortgage? Did I help pay? Did I pay any bills? I mean, sure. I lost a year of my life. Yeah, and I, you know, you're you're as a friend to sit back and watch your journey has been, especially on from a healing perspective, has has been amazing. I mean, truly, I have so much respect for you taking on that journey. And, um, but can we talk a little bit about, was a lawsuit behind this. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Well, I'm always thinking, am I allowed to talk about this? Of course I am. Basically at the end of the day, I thought he was on TJ Maxx property. They rented out. There was no cameras outside and I was just trying to get answers. So talk to, talk, talk to me about the process of deciding about the lawsuit. Like, I want to talk about what your, your part in the lawsuit more so than the actual like details of the lawsuit. What, how were you, what were you feeling when that came along? I had consulted a couple attorneys and basically, you know, eh, one decided the only way I, Oh, I reached out to the national, the survivors, victims of, whatever i st- i don't remember right now i'd have to do research in dc and they had uh attorneys in different states that would help this being florida i ended up the one that called me back the one that i'm still friendly with uh oddly these years later it was uh todd michaels based out of miami and he said he would take the case on didn't know what the case was but he said this isn't right and again mind you i'm not looking for billions not looking for anything just some I didn't want any money out of this. I wanted my mother to be taken care of. So we ended up going with Todd and he brought the lack of absolute lack of security on the premise on this um, shopping, this, what do you call it? Strip mall. So what, so let me back up just a second. So, so when you talked with this attorney, is that when you filed suit? Yeah, we decided to go for it. But I asked my mother and sister, we decided after my brother's murder, that we all had to be on the same page. And I know my sister, I was, I'm a Taurus. I'm a bulldog. I'm going to go for <laughs> it. So just get everyone on the same page. And, you know, I was the one reaching out. And yes, it was him saying, let's go for the security. Were you deposed? Well, 
again, even though I work for Court TV, you're asking, you're using big legal questions. I was, it was, uh, he brought us a suit against the owners of the strip mall. Sure. So we took a suit against the owners of the strip mall. That was us. And I don't know if this fits in with what, you know. Well, I, I guess what I'm trying to get to is that did you go through deposition and did you testify? Because I want to talk oh, about I did testify. You testify. I okay. did testify. So let's, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that a little bit, if you don't mind, real quick. Of course. So, so when you went to testify, how how did how did you feel that you, when you were had to go oh, on the stand walk in there in the stand? What, well, talk to me about that feeling. You know, first of all, you can only imagine what it's like for the families of the victims. My brother truly was a victim of a heinous crime Mm -hmm. family the tentacles reach out to all of us and when you're walking in you realize oh that's the cop that found him that was on set that decided to stay with my brother and didn't do anything versus chase the guys that jumped in the car and drove away so he's standing there it's the first time you lay eyes on him first time you lay eyes on the other side first time you so it's all the parties coming together awful but kind of you're so taken aback and you're not expecting it that my mouth, <laughs> I froze. I didn't say anything. I was on my best behavior. But, you know, had I known what was going on um, or who certain people were, you know. So when so when you took the stand, did you have a jury? Yes. And did. Did, did you feel that they were very, they listened? Did you feel they were attentive? Did you feel they were? It's funny. I didn't look at them. And I had heard from the lawyers that historically in that area, there's a good chance they won't side with us. And um, I didn't look at them. I just looked at Todd as he was questioning me. And the uh, defense did not question me, I don't think. Yeah. And did did you find that odd? I guess in hindsight. Probably because, you know, I'm sitting up there and, they did stop. What do they say when the objection or whatever? And they went to the mm-hmm. judge. But sidebar. I, sidebar. And I said, or I think might have been a sidebar, but I said, I don't wish this on anyone. And that was a sidebar. That was a objection because I don't know. But I was crying at that point because it is painful reliving that and being asked that. And, you know, all these people staring at you and then you find out later, you know, even more stuff from the lawyers. But, you know, it's, yeah, awful. Simply awful. The reliving, the reliving of the, um, that's one of the things that, that I want to talk about on this podcast is that not only you go through the trauma once, you got to go through the trauma again. Oh, and again and again and through, again. I mean, it's, it's never trauma. ending. It's a never ending. It's never until, ending uh, trauma. You know, from the front page of the local newspaper the next day about the murder to a large billboard have, you know, do you know who killed? I mean, on and on. You'd never, it's just how you deal with it changes. I think time does help. Having support system helps. Yeah, I, I actually, you know, one of the things I remember around my brother's death is that the, you know, us coming from a small town in southeastern Ohio was the newspaper came out. I've never forgotten. I'm a visual person and I never forgot the newspaper coming to our door and I just, it immediately went away. And uh, it was just one of those things of like, okay, what what happened? I, 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 for the longest time, didn't have a lot of answers as an eight-year-old either. And I that's why I commend you for not you know, being that bulldog, asking questions, because that oh, is absolutely. healing to me. I mean, you know. Absolutely. 
And I think you know, the one answers. The one thing that was a unique sidebar here, sidebar. Uh, <laughs> nice. When we got the newspaper the next day, because I got there in the morning, it wasn't. It happened late at night. It didn't make the local papers, and we went to go pick up the newspaper the next morning. The front page was missing. So I guess my brother yeah, didn't want so. my mom to know. Yeah. So I went to yeah. the local Seven Eleven. There it was, front page. I mean, that whole section was missing. Anyway, she thought I'd share that tidbit. But you know, that's okay. So that's that's uh, kind of transforms me in right in here to this our transformation side of our the healing journey. And uh, so you're reentry into work. Can you talk a little bit about that life, your partner, everybody? Like how that ripple effect had to start coming back in order to form for you to get back into your real life. Of course, because of course yearly you get a postcard. You know, all murder vic- um, families of murder victims get postcards from the Cape Coral Police Department. <laughs> anyway, it's a yearly thing. But I was working at, I just got this great job for the uh, for Turner Network, TNT, for um, uh, a new competition reality show. And I was in San Francisco. And I had told everybody, all my producers, because I was supervising producer, I said, heads up, the 18th is a one year anniversary and I'm going to have, I'm sure. And I did have funny five minutes here and there. We'll just leave. And everybody was so caring, so good. And it's just about, you know, opening up and expressing, letting people know that, Ooh, I did this. I did that. This happened. That happened. People are very gentle and nice. So yeah. And I did, I walked around, I was hiding offset, hiding and crying and then going back on. You know, I I found that too, where, when people really do know your story, that's one another reason I want to do this podcast. There's so many amazing stories of transformation through this type of trauma that people are there. They're, they really do want, they do care. They're yes. nice when people yes. know you. It's when they don't know what's going on, I find it. And I feel that's why talking about it sometimes is so much more cathartic for everybody because then someone really understands you and gets to know you. And I know it's, it's hard. People don't know what to say. People don't know what to say. People don't know what to do. They don't know what to think. They don't want to talk to you. They want to talk to you. They want to ask the questions. They don't want to ask the questions. It's awkward all the way around and everybody's going to be different. Right. Would you rather that they they did more? Well, now eight years later, I still kind of refer to the the internet, what's a hoosie, and say, you know, you can Google my last name, TJ Max Cape Coral, it's all there. You'll see me yeah. talking on TV. I even reached out to a neighbor's, my mother's neighbor's, whose daughter was a local news anchor, and I did a report with her. So, so you're um, doing things that are that are trying to find steps, steps to healing, steps to try and find answers, trying steps yeah. to work through that process. And so, but the, um, you know, everybody, things forget after three years, everybody's like, you don't get the calls from the news stations anymore. You don't get the reporters mm-hmm. nonstop at your door looking for some ratings. I mean, interview. So st- stuff does stop after a while and you're left on so, your own vice devices or whatever you would say. So what, what steps do you, have you taken that you would call steps to heal? Mm, seeing a shrink immediately. Find someone that you could talk to about this. Be good to yourself. Luckily, I had a great partner who was incredibly helpful, caring, giving, 
realizing that everybody deals with grief differently, including my mother and my sister. Uh, we all handle things differently, uniquely, and I think that's something to be acknowledged. There's no right or wrong way. There's your own way. And do you think, uh, were you the only one that testified out of your family? Of course. Of course. Well, that's, I, yeah, I, but that Absolutely. on top of it, another layer of, uh, of your strength and ability to, you know, that, that's, that's a pretty stressful situation. No, it is. And plus, you're not going to put an 80-year-old German woman on the stand who just lost her right. firstborn. You're not going right. to, my sister said, do what, do what you want and need to do. You know, she gave me permission to do this as a family unit, but no, I was the only one. So that's, that's also another layer of strength, but another layer of healing to, you know, handle that. And that's, that's pretty impressive, Pam, actually. I mean, that's, you know, to be able to get through that. And do you think healing's a choice? Hmm. It's funny. My first answer was, is healing a choice? This goes, it's in the same vein as grief. I think we all have our decisions to make and our, you know, I think it's, oh God, Huck, I don't know. Is healing a choice? It's funny, I was, there's, I don't know. That's fair. That's fair. That's, God, it's, I it's don't a, know. It's an interesting question for me, as, especially if I, because I've, I've had to make choices to heal. I could Abs- live in it. Absolutely. I could drink it away. I could absolutely. cocaine it away. I could do whatever I wanted. Oh, yeah. And be angry away. Had my fun and had my days, but I decided to make some choices. And um, I just always wonder that with people because there's some people that are making choices, not even knowing they're making the choice. It's funny, why. too, because it's I was hoping. Conscious. Yeah, I was hoping the anger would go away because there was a lot of anger on my side. And sure. inside, outside, and you know, yearly without abandon, every five years, um, every year uh, around the anniversary of, I somehow sleuthed and found everyone from the CEO of the parent company on down. Yeah. I called them even. So when when you when you talk about that anger, what are you doing for that anger? Is it are you are you running painting? Meditating? Oh, do you do anything for not that enough. anger? That, that, that the anger is with time. It goes away. I mean, it, it can creep up, of course, but what am I doing? Hoping not fucking my life up and lashing out at those around me, which I'm sure I did, especially those closest to me. But yeah. but it's kind of hard. It's it's hard not to in that sense. Because But then the beauty of life is you still have that support system that's there continually you know like Karen like your dogs like your home like your you know the consistencies of things right the dogs holy shit balls the dogs I mean of course Karen goes without saying but the dogs were you know living teddy bears has there has there been anything positive that's come out of this horrible experience I think I'm a better person in what way more caring more aware for people that have lived something similarly to mine or have gone through loss, I know what it feels like. I don't know how they feel like, but I know what it feels like. So empathy is probably off the charts. Do you tell them that? Or do you run into anybody that's gone through this? In oh, God, sense or of course, out? of course. You know, people yeah. that I meet that lost a husband two years ago and they're in their 80s. I'm like, I'm so sorry. 
Because I know loss is hard. You don't will it on anyone. Just don't say that in the courtroom because the (laughs) defense will do a sidebar. But um, we'll object to you saying this is an awful experience because I guess it should have been a good one. But, you know, I... Part of it, too, it, it happened at my stage. What was I in my 50s? Yes, early 50s. So, oh, of course, mellowing with age. So it would be hard to compare it to if this were to happen in my 20s, 30s. But, you know, you just you just feel for others. You know that someone down the street, if they were to get murdered, their door would be phone would be ringing. I mean, they found a phone number. I didn't even know what the number was. They were reaching out to people. I don't even know how they got in touch with the news people. So that was discombobulating because you don't have a opportunity. So, so when you were in your healing process, I mean, can you say that it, it's changed you? Like how, yes. how has it changed you? How? A, bet, a nicer person, more mellow, more caring, more giving, more, <laughs> Somebody might dispute this, but I'd like to say just a better person, just aware of how fragile life is. We are, wrists are. So what what do you do to take care of yourself today? What what, what today? makes you happy today? Yeah, today very little makes. Um, I don't need a lot to make me happy. I was going to say very little makes me happy, and that would sound awful. <laughs> it's actually wait a minute. I know you as a happier person, right? <laughs> No, I mean, sure. it's it's reading, it's quiet time, it's playing with the dogs, it's hanging with my better half, it's simple, simple, simple things. A nice meal, a nice skylight, I mean, just simple stuff, really, you know, health. And that gives you the mojo to keep going, to keep staying positive, getting out there, not being afraid to challenge yourself in life, just after something like this. So you, you know, come from the Midwest, like me, small town, Ohio, went to New York, challenged yourself to get out of, you know, Midwest and really go big. Then you came out to LA and became a production supervisor and had a great career in Hollywood. And this horrible situation happens to you and taking some time and changed up your life as a real estate agent, which I think is just so amazing. I mean, just to watch you go through this process has been such an honor as a friend to really watch you go through that. How has all this made you a better real estate agent? Being more caring, more aware of people, their needs, their situation. I think that's what came out of that. I was still working on television when this happened, but... Mm-hmm. that career was slowly going adrift. So the plan B became plan A, which is the real estate. But just realizing I, it's nice to get paid. Granted, I'm not going to say it's not nice to get a commission <laughs> check. It is. But to me, it's more about helping people. Helping people. It's like, if this doesn't, if this, you don't like this house, would you think about this or that? Just helping people find a place to live instead of, uh, they call it in my business commission breath. I don't have commission breath. Well, do you think that what you've gone through has helped you not have commission breath? Yes. I believe life experiences makes you who you are. Absolutely. Um, the one thing I did have to get over, and I'll say this here, and it because it affected me since then, it's a little backtrack, if you don't mind. But it, 
this is unsolved, this murder. It's still a cold, it's a cold case. So somebody out there did something horrible to me and my family. We don't know who did it. So I tried to make, I re- reached out to LinkedIn and I said, could you put my city nowhere? Could you put, you know, I was afraid of posting real estate information, my compass real estate information online, because what if someone's around the corner? Now I'm next. You get paranoid, you know, and that stayed with me a long time. Now it's like, uh, enough time has passed. And I realized you can go to the white pages and see where Sylvester Stallone lives, the address. So people want to find you, they will. Well, and you're walking through the, walking through that healing process as well. And, you know, I mean, I I think you're right time. I mean, I, you know, it's been 50 years since my brother died, but there's never an April 12th that doesn't come by. It's not a birthday. It's still a holiday. It's uh, there's never a time that it's not, He's not present many times, present in my life, um, sh- shows up. What about your birthday? My birthday? Yeah. it's. I would it, always get a call. Yeah, my birthday is, yeah. Well, we were pretty young, so. But no, there's very poignant things that happen. You know, the Minnesota Vikings playing when I watch them. You know, it's that was his team. And, you know, there's certain things that I, you know, I've constantly gone back through my mind. And, you know, my story's a lot longer that I'll put out there sometime. But so Pam, after all of this, if you could give some advice to someone, you know, that was either in your shoes, had to relive something going into the witness stand and witness chair. And what, what, what would that be? What would you advise them as? I think it's important to be good to yourself and ask for help. If it's from a stranger or a loved one, ask questions and realize you're not alone. You can ask for help. I think that's important. And I think that's, that's great advice because a lot of people feel very lonely in that situation. And so uh, I like that. That's, that's great. You know, I just, I, I really, you know, no one wants to, to be vulnerable and I am so grateful for your vulnerability today. It's just really, really think your story can help a lot of people. I think that that's the whole point of this this podcast is to get our stories out, especially when it comes down to becoming a witness, having to testify, really get into to places where you have to relive something that just really is not something you want to relive and living in a bubble. You know, you live in a, a lonely bubble and that's something that is also not the easiest to do, but you're, you're full proof that you can do it and you can live through it. And I'm just really proud to call you my friend and I'm, I'm really grateful that you did this with me today. I'm, I'm really, really grateful. So everyone, I want to thank Pam for joining me today and I hope you enjoy this podcast. We're going to have some amazing stories. We're going to have litigators to come in and talk about how to help witnesses, how to help people get through hard times. We're going to talk about witnesses that have gone through tough things. We're going to talk about healthcare professionals and wellness professionals. So um, I hope you'll join us. And again, Pam, thank you. And uh, signing off from sunny Los Angeles. Thanks for listening to Trauma, Trial and Transformation. If you want to share your experience as a witness, please forward your information to info at juliethuck.com. For more information on Juliet's 30-year career in the courtroom, visit us at juliethuck.com.
There you can find her books, The Equation of Persuasion and 50 Ways to Get Your Way, available on Amazon. Remember to follow and subscribe to Trauma, Trial, and Transformation wherever you listen to podcasts.